Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next-door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivesan, and he's a leading cardiologist. During our time as friends, I've become more and more curious about his work and I've often been left with more questions about the medical profession than I've had answers. And in this special episode of The Doctor Next Door, sponsored by Medtronic, I'll be asking Neil the burning questions that keep me up at night, dissecting medical myths under his watchful eye and doing my utmost to learn more about an industry that is quite literally a matter of life and death. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities. Oh, no. I want you to be involved with these conversations as well. Let Neil be your doctor next door. So if you have any questions or your stories, of course, send them along to doctoratnextdoorpod.com right now. Hey, doctor. Hi, David. Good to see you again. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Um, I had a holiday recently. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your opinion on this, not your medical opinion, but your opinion as a person of style. Okay. Now, I was waiting at the carousel at the airport for an eternity. The bags were going round, but I was unable to identify my own because I insist on having just all black luggage. I've noticed. And those people that I look down on, I'm going to say, I look down on who tie ribbons and other such things, accoutrements to their baggage. Mm -hmm. They were grabbing their cases. They were out in the taxi, into the car rate, wherever they were going, on the bus, on the train, they were gone. Mm. And Muggins here was still stood there. So I want to talk to you at the beginning of this edition of the podcast about, and it's a big hitting topic, the customization of luggage. Mm. Do you? I have had that problem, you know, this embarrassing thing where you pull out this luggage and you go, it sort of feels a bit heavier or lighter than the one I packed. And then you start looking into that, you know, that label that you look for. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, okay, Mrs. Smith yeah. or Robinson or something like that. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's definitely not my luggage. No. Yeah. So and then you put it back sort of sheepishly. Yeah. You have that awkward moment. That must happen to you all the time. I, well, I've, I've had moments of that where I've had to unzip and have a little peek inside, <laughs> which always feels like I'm committing some kind of crime, even yeah. though I'm not. But the other way around, you saying that is quite unsettling because is there a chance that you might travel somewhere for business with some very, very, very important medical equipment in your luggage? And there's a chance that, you know, Jim and Frank, who are on a stag do, have accidentally taken it with them. And they get there and they've got a cryo balloon ablation with them all of a sudden, <laughs> as opposed to the handcuffs and the sheep costume that they plan to take. Yeah, I think it's more of a worry for our friends from Medtronic, where they have to, you know, take things around the world. And sometimes we go to conferences and stuff, they must be carrying and lugging these things around. And you're absolutely right, someone must be picking up a random cryo balloon yeah. machine or something. The worst experience I had, we bought this really... Um, strange ECG recording machine. It had more, your normal ECG has like 12 stickers, 12 leads. 
Yeah. And I, I basically got this thing that had like 250 of them. You had to stick it all That's over the so body. You. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so and I was transporting it in this big box. And then I was going to, I think we were going from this to the States, actually. Yeah. And uh, you can imagine the, the looks in security as they open this big, you know, plastic. What is this, sir? Box. Exactly. And you're showing all these weird things and ribbons yeah. and things that stuck on and wires. Yeah, you've got bags of blood with you. Yeah, <laughs> looked a bit, you know. Who is this guy? Yeah, exactly. But don't they send that stuff in advance? You've got, you got to carry this stuff, you've got to carry stuff with I you. I was doing some research at that time, so I, I took it with me. Right. But it was really embarrassing. I mean, the questions they ask in the States when they open the box. I can imagine. All these wires and then this big generator as well to, you know, yeah. to deliver the energy to record the system. So the other thing, because I was waiting for so long for, 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 you know, to identify my own luggage, and I was stood there waiting, yeah. and I thought to myself, I wonder how long Dr. Neil has stood whilst operating and helping somebody live a better life, maybe even saving their life. Because you hear about, and normally uh, it's dramatised, and you hear about them on some streaming service, someone's stood for 24 hours and you know done an operation. Firstly, is that kind of thing true? And secondly, if it is true, what's the longest thing you've done and what's the longest thing you've heard of? And finally, was it longer than I actually stood there waiting for my own bags to come at Heathrow Airport? Yeah, so uh, absolutely true. You do get these marathon operations. For me, I think my record's probably around eight hours. Wow. I have had, you know, I do some very difficult ablations, not like the stuff we've talked about before, routine bread and butter AF ablation with the cryo balloon or something like that. I do some ablations in very sick hearts called ventricular tachycardia ablation from the bottom chamber of the heart. Heart's got heart failure as well. And some of them can be really tough. I think my record's about eight hours or so. I think we started, yeah, probably, probably about nine o'clock. More than eight. We started about nine o'clock and we finished at 7 p.m. What do you do about sustenance and it's really standing hard work. up? I mean, yeah. You're exhausted. I bet You're you are. Exa- we wear these lead coats, so they're quite heavy. And they protect us from the x-rays and the radiation that are in the room and so on. Because we get a lifetime exposure from the work we do. For a patient, if you come in and you know, get a couple of bits of doses of x-ray while we're doing a procedure, it's not very much exposure to you. But for me, in my lifetime, I get quite a lot. So I have to wear special protective glasses, a protective coat. So I'm sweating. I'm really hot. I'm really tired. And you're standing a long time. You hope that sometimes you've got some colleagues around you and you can swap in between the cases so you can work together. Okay. I have done cases, I think my, my eight-hour one was the one where I just stood on my own. I had nobody else around me. And you, you get really thirsty and you get really hungry. If you've got friendly colleagues, sometimes they'll just give you a sip of water for a straw. But then okay. you start worrying, okay, what if I need to pee or something like that? Right, right, yeah, wow. Yeah, and maybe the odd biscuit here and there just to keep your sugar levels up. You were at the house, we were having a beer, and you were telling me about a colleague of yours who... Past a kidney stone. Absolutely. Mid-operation. Yeah, because it's so dehydrated. <laughs> Is that, I, did I, tell me I didn't dream that. No, no, you no. You actually told me I didn't you. Yeah. Oh, I'm so relieved I don't yeah. dream about that stuff. Okay. <laughs> so what happened then? I mean, that was like nine and a half hours or something. And was really dehydrated, not eating anything all day. And developed really, really severe pain in his loin, in his kidney. Was he thinking maybe it's because I'm standing up? It's yeah, my posture, like, I'm wearing the yeah. heavy jacket. And about six and a half hours later, you know, I came in and I was like, Are you all right there? Maybe you should have some water or something. And then he's like, yeah, I think I'm getting a kidney stone. Just carried on. Wow. Past the stone. <laughs> it's one of the most excruciating pains you can humanly ki- experience. Passing a kidney stone. Yeah, it's probably oh, the most my, painful my thing My dad ever. did it. He still talks of it to this yeah. day. And I think that was back in the 70s when it happened to him. <laughs> Bless him. Uh, so if we've learned anything uh, from the opening gambit of this brand new edition of the Doctor Next Door podcast, it's if you spot Neil at airport security, join the other queue because he's going to be there for absolutely ages. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, Dr. Neil, it is time to continue our deep dive into the heart as part of our special run of episodes sponsored by Medtronic. And as you are the country's, I want to say, cardiology prodigy, I can't think of a better person to ask. So last time we covered atrial fibrillation, which was fascinating and informative as always. And my burning question to you on this edition is, what is heart failure? Now, obviously, everybody's heard of this, mm -hmm. but myself included, we may not know what form it takes, what it can do to us, how yep. it can be remedied, what can be done from an expert like yourself. Mm -hmm. So um, let, let's begin with who is affected in the main by yeah. heart failure? So all manner of people can be affected by heart failure. We see heart failure in young people. We see heart failure in old people. We see heart failure in people of our age. And what happens in heart failure, the heart is a muscle. It's a big, strong muscle, muscular pump, and it beats and beats and beats and beats blood out of the heart, around the body, to supply all of the tissues, your brain, your muscles, your important organs, your kidneys, etc. What happens in heart failure is when that muscle is not able to pump blood strongly enough around the body or not able to pump enough blood around the body for your needs. And what that's manifest as is if you think of a sort of big strong bicep lifting a big heavy weight, suddenly all of a sudden it's not able to do that and it looks very weak and not as thick and strong as it, as it, as it should do. So that's what, sort of what it looks like inside the heart. The heart often becomes dilated, quite big, and the muscle itself doesn't thicken and doesn't squeeze. And as a result of that, people get the symptoms of that, the inability to pump the blood round as efficiently as, it sh as you should be able to. So you get feeling tired, you feel lack of energy, etc. And that's what basically what heart failure entails. Wow. So uh, how much of the population is affected by this? So, so about one million people in the UK suffer from heart failure. The most common cause of heart failure actually is because of a heart attack. So what happens to patients is because of numerous risk factors, they have a heart attack, which is a blockage of the blood supply to your heart. So the, it's a big, strong muscle. It needs lots of blood. And there are three main arteries that supply blood to the heart. I think of them as motorways. So it's like an M1, there's an M25, and then there's an M6 around the side. Okay. If one of those gets blocked by a clot because you have a heart attack, then that whole bit of muscle beyond that is starving for oxygen and starts to die off. And then it never fully heals, never fully recovers, even if you get treatment quickly. In some patients, it never heals and never fully recovers. And that then results in an area of muscle that's not pumping as strongly which causes heart failure because the heart's not able to pump the blood as efficiently around the body as it should do. The other possible cause of heart failure, you get a whole host of patients who come in with random viruses or have felt unwell for some vague reasons, and then they develop heart failure. The whole heart itself reacts to that in a funny way and then results in there being a weak heart muscle. And then there are a, a host of genetic conditions. People are born with certain inherited conditions of the muscle itself of the heart, which over time gets worn down and then is not able to function as it should do. Okay, well, I suppose we should talk, you know, treatment, prevention, mm -hmm. and this might be a good opportunity for this episode's edition of Show and Tell. Absolutely. What have you got with you this week, Neil? So, yeah. So, firstly, to talk about heart failure, you, you get all these symptoms of tiredness and breathlessness, cough. People might feel faint. They might get swollen legs, and that's because the heart's not able to pump properly. In terms of managing that, the most important cornerstone to that is obviously treating patients with drugs. There are a whole host of drugs which are shown to improve those symptoms. So if you've got swollen legs, if you're breathless, if you're tired, 
if you've got a cough, all of these tablets have been shown to make you live longer, to make your heart beat better and improve the function of your heart. But about a third of the patients who have heart failure also have some abnormalities in the way in which electricity conducts through the heart. And that can also then contribute a bit to the heart failure. So in my pocket, I've got a special show and tell for you. Oh. I've got a shiny metal thing. Looks about the size of a matchbox. If I'm not mistaken, isn't that the CRT-P quad? Absolutely. Yeah, How did you know yeah. that? I yeah. just, you know, I hang out with Medtronic after All we do this. We've started going for drinks after. Absolutely. I should invite you next time. Oh, right. sorry. Okay, uh, so, no, what is this? So, this is a special type of pacemaker that about, you know, a third of patients at least with heart failure can benefit from. Okay. So, what this does, it has the ability to sense the chambers in the heart. So, you put one wire, which goes in these three holes. So, this is a metal box about the size of a matchbox with something called a header, it's just this plastic see-through thing. And this plastic see-through thing has some holes in it and you put some little wires in there. Those wires are implanted under your collarbone and they go and touch your heart. And there's one in the top chamber of the heart where the impulse of the heart starts, one in the bottom right-hand chamber and one in the bottom left-hand chamber. What that enables this device to do in combination with all of the other things we can do for heart failure, all the medications, etc., etc is it enables us to make the heart beat more efficiently. So it makes the bottom chamber, left and right, contract at the same time. And by making it contract at the same time, you can make the heart beat stronger, and you can also sometimes shrink some of the dilatation of the heart and improve the function of the heart. Some of these devices also have the ability to shock the heart. So a proportion of patients with heart failure with a very weak heart muscle might be at significant risk of lethal sudden cardiac rhythms. So some of these devices also have an ability where one of the leads that's in the right-hand side, right-hand bottom chamber, can not only help beat for the heart and improve the heart failure, but can also shock the heart out of you know, dangerous lethal rhythms. The other benefit from these devices is that we, we talked about heart failure and, and obviously we talked about you know, going to see your GP if you're breathless, you're tired, you've got swollen feet or ankles. There are some tests, for instance, that can be done for heart failure. So your, your GP or your doctor might refer you for an ultrasound scan of the heart to look at the pumping function of your heart. And there are some blood tests, called, one called a BNP, for instance, which is very good at diagnosing straight away. So you can go to your GP and say, I'm worried I've got heart failure. Okay, let's do this BNP test. That's a really good screen and can tell us whether you have or have not got heart failure. But these devices have this ability to sense some of the electrical fields inside the heart and they can tell us, so they're always downloading. So once I have a patient with one of these, myself or my team are able to constantly see what's going on with their hearts oh, through okay. some telemedicine remote monitoring thing. The patient has a sort of dongle at home. The device here talks to the dongle all the time, and the dongle sends data to me in my office. Wow. And it will tell me if the patient's decompensating in heart failure before they even know it. And also tell me if they're having any fun, funny rhythms or is there any problems with the pacemaker. Does that become part of your routine? Will that be part of a cardiologist's routine? You come in in the morning, check yeah. everyone's dongle. Yes. Yeah. And, and <laughs> make, the necessary, calls as, make the necessary as calls when. Depending on the, yeah, yeah. the problems that you face with the dongles. And, and this is going here under the collarbone. Yeah. So and as you say, it's about the size of a matchbox. It's very light as well. Mm. So you'll be able, you'd obviously be able to see that, I presume. Yeah. If, I, if, if someone who had this fitted had their T-shirt off, mm -hmm. you'd be able to see it just Absolutely. under his or hers collarbone yeah. here. So what, what the, when, if you go to the beach with one of these, you will see uh, uh, under your left collarbone, about two fingers down below that collarbone, there'll be a small scar. 
a straight line scar going across. And that scar might be about two to three inches wide, very fine. That is the incision we make to make a little pocket under the skin to put this device. Yeah. Then this device is going to be sat there. So it's going to be on top of your pec muscle, normally, your big, strong pec muscle. <laughs> You're too kind, doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and below your skin. So there will be a bump. Yeah. Occasionally, if there are certain patients who are extremely thin or there's certain cosmetic reasons, we can also put it underneath the muscle so you won't see any bump at all. One of the things, you know, I regularly come back to on this because I know it's a big reason why people, you know, enjoy this podcast is about putting minds at rest. And, you know, should people be facing the kind of things that we've just discussed with, with heart failure and, and the symptoms and the causes and the amount of people that are affected by it, this seems to be a solution. And this is easily done. This is not a problem for you to do. If yep. this is something you have to do for somebody, then... It's, again, it's routine, simple day case okay. stuff. Patients come in, they go home the same day with a chest x-ray and a check of the device sometimes. And then all that happens is they get monitored at home and they get called up by us every so often to say, are you okay? Is everything fine? The procedure itself to implant one of these probably takes about an hour to two hours, sometimes slightly longer. Um, but yeah, routine routine medicine, and often the patients awake for the procedure. Don't have to go to sleep. Oh, for it. okay. Yeah, so it's not a major operation in any way. And again, something that's available for patients with heart failure, um, along with you know the host of medications that we have, which have been shown to make people live longer, uh, in combination with devices like this, and and also you know improve the function of the heart. So you'll often see a patient acutely really sick with what decompensated heart failure, we call it. They, you know, they'll be really breathless, really swollen up, lots of weight on board, put on a lot of weight because the fluid is not being pumped around the body. It's just backlogging everywhere and going in the wrong spaces. And you'll see very you know, quickly after a few months of very good treatment that their heart failure will improve significantly, sometimes just with tablets, sometimes with a combination of medications plus a device like this. Um, I mean, it's incredible stuff. The only downside I can see is the dongle that comes with this is the size of a small family saloon car. <laughs> uh, so you've got to find room for it in your house. No, the dongle's really small. <laughs> I know! <laughs> so now it is time for everybody's favourite part of the Doctor Next Door podcast. It is time for Dave's medical training we know that you love playing along where you are. Now, last week in the first of our three special editions, I got one out of three. I've gone rusty since we last did some medical training, but you said that was to be expected. It happened yeah. to you, for heaven's sake. Exactly. You all have a warm-up period after a big summer holiday like yeah. this. And I'm fiercely competitive. I've fought for every half point. That's not going to change. Uh, so I'm determined to do better this time out. Neil, furnish us with the first question, please. Okay, Dave. So... Your first question is... Question one. What day of the year statistically sees the most amount of heart attacks occur? Wow. Okay. What a question. Is it A, Easter Sunday? Yeah. Is it B, Christmas Day? Or is it C, New Year's Day? So there is definitely a link to kind of days associated with... Just yeah. chilling out and stuffing yourself silly yeah. and your heart. Certain times of the of the year are associated with the most amount of heart attacks. Oh, it's okay, one of those I mean. three. Mm, okay, yeah. I got my guess. Have you got uh, yours out there? I hope so. Here we go. Question two. The human heart has four valves, but can you tell me what the average size of a normal healthy heart valve is? Is it A one centimetre? 
Is it B, three centimeters? Or is it C, five centimeters? I keep looking over at the guys from Medtronic and they're like, we're not going to help you, Dan. <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> I keep thinking they're going to do like a little scratch themselves and go, C. <laughs> like that chess guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like, who wants to be a millionaire from back in the day? Yeah. <laughs> C! <laughs> um, oh, I'm going for C, by the way. I don't know if it's right. Anyway, what's the third one? All right. Answers okay. on the way. Your favourite, true or false? I got this wrong last time. I was annoyed at that. Yeah. Okay. You're normally an expert at that. Thank you. The first heart pacemakers ever invented were powered by plugging them into a wall socket. True or false? Okay. So they are the three questions posed to us all this time round by Dr. Neil Srinivasan. The answers are coming next. Hello, I'm Jess Phillips, an MP, and if you don't already know, I'm now a fully-fledged podcaster. My show is called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode, I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. I've spoken to Lorraine Kelly about the letter she would send to celebrate her favourite teacher, Vicky Patterson about the letter she would send to her best friend who passed away, and Fee Glover talked to me about how much she loves Taylor Swift. The conversations are a celebration of people we love. And so we often find ourselves in tears of joy and sadness as guests share the letters of appreciation they wish they could send. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or by searching for Jess Phillips wherever you listen to podcasts. And with that, I'll sign off with yours sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy my podcast soon. Hello and welcome back to this special edition of The Doctor Next Door, sponsored by Medtronics. Now, before the break, Dr. Neil asked me three heart-related questions to test my medical knowledge. So let's find out how I did, and of course you did, out there. So Neil, question one. So your first question was a best of three, and it was, which day of the year statistically sees the most amount of heart attacks occur? The options were A... Easter Sunday, B, Christmas Day, or C, New Year's Day? So Easter Sunday, sure, there's eggs involved, but you're only as lovely as how long the James Bond film is that's on ITV4. New Year's Day, I think that you maybe go hard on New Year's Eve, but maybe then you've slept it off. Plus, most people are in bed by 10pm anyway, aren't they? Or is that just me? <laughs> So I've gone for B. Yeah, you got it right. Christmas Day. Absolutely. And good logic too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean... Why? We can't quite explain why is a simple answer. Is it just to get away from the family? It could be just to get away from the family. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I'm having a heart attack. I've got to go. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's unhealthy changes in the diet, which obviously Christmas Day involves quite a lot of. There's a lot of alcohol consumption. But also we know that as we talked about in some episodes before, a lot of patients who drop dead suddenly or have a heart attack, for instance, we don't really know why that happens, okay? So the most common cause is a blockage of the heart artery, and then after that, we don't know. And there's a huge amount of what's called autonomics, so this stress, fight, flight involvement, 
And clearly Christmas Day with all the family and everything else that goes on with it or loneliness or lots of other things must have a huge interplay in terms of driving this kind of sudden heart attacks or sudden cardiac arrests in patients. Wow, okay. So, well, th there's a lot for people to think about there, myself included, but I have got a point. Yes. And that's what I'm going to focus on now. Exactly. So uh, what was question two again? Okay, question two was about the human heart valve. The human heart has four valves. But can you tell me the average size of a normal healthy heart valve? Is it one centimetres? Is it three centimetres? Or is it five centimetres? Well, I, I, I yelled at the time uh, whilst desperately looking for help from the Medtronic guys. I went for C. C. You said C, which is five centimetres, but the answer is B. Oh. Three centimetres, I'm afraid. The normal heart valve uh, has an opening of about three to four centimetres. So um, it's a little bit bigger than a two-pound coin. Yeah, well, okay. I knew this was coming. I, I knew when I saw three it. To three four to four is practically could be five, five, isn't it? Yeah, he's well, going to chase the half though, point. Because I take the half point for one. No, one wouldn't be any points. No. And then three to five, yeah. yeah. in between, right? So four is the correct answer, and three is as close to four as uh, five is to right, four. He's taking a so half point. So it's just point. either side of four. Here we go. Basically, four is the answer, so three is half a point, which is B, and C is half a point, which is five. So I've got C, so I've got half a point. All one right. and a half points. All right, let's, let's bump him up. He needs to pass med school after all. <laughs> Otherwise, who else is going to do my AF operation? <laughs> and my pacemaker. Treat my heart failure. <laughs> uh, okay, the third all and right. final question this time. Right? Okay, it was true or false. The first heart pacemakers ever invented were powered by plugging them into a wall socket. False. True. true. No way! Yeah. They were mains powered. They were these big, huge boxes with, with some wires connected to them. They were wheeled on big carts. Yeah, they were plugged into your body from there. How, but how do you... You'd have to live in the hospital, otherwise your heart right, stops. Right, okay, yeah. And until, what about... Uh, until, <laughs> until Great Batch invented, the, you know, an implantable one. Oh, yeah. it's a Great Batch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so how big... Do you know how big the units... were? huge. When are we talking as well? What period in history is this? In, in the 50s. 1950s. Mm. My goodness. Are you amazed? I mean, they were like a big fridge. When you look back at the advances in medicine in your profession, you're mm -hmm. part of the profession. Yeah. Are you amazed at how far things have come? Because obviously, in the great scheme of things, the 1950s isn't too long ago. Too long ago. ago. No. But it's just incredible, right? Yeah. Especially in the, heart, in the world of heart medicine, you know? Even not so long ago, the 70s, the heart ward was a palliative care ward. Patients sat there for months with extreme heart failure, with a massive heart attack that nobody knew how to treat. And they just, you know, had fluid in their lungs. They were gurgling in their breathing. They got water all over their legs and their legs are really swollen. And now look where we've come. Yeah. We've and come and here it is. It's on the desk in front of us. The, yeah. You know, the Medtronic's CRT-P quad, which is my personal favourite. It's so light, so small. Yeah, exactly. So, as I often say, the Doctor Next Door isn't just about Dr. Neil and myself. No, we love it when you get in touch and share your questions and stories as well. And you can do so, doctor at nextdoorpod.com. Or you can find us, of course, on the socials at docnextdoorpod. So let's have this week's correspondence. Neil, we've had this email from Jeremiah. Hello, Jeremiah. Thank you for getting in touch. He says, hi, Dave and Dr. Neil. I am a film and TV fanatic with a real fascination for medical programs. I've always wanted to know whether heart monitors suddenly blaring alarms or playing the classic beep 
deep tone are as common an occurrence as they are portrayed on the silver screen. On screen, they often seem to imply that someone's heart has stopped. Is that the main function of these machines? And when these alarms go off, do they just sound in the patient's room or are they sent to some kind of control room that's monitoring them for emergencies? Thank you from Jeremiah. That's an interesting question. That's a great question, right? Well done, Jeremiah. Thanks for sending that in. So heart monitors, basically what they're doing is... We talked about ECGs before, a load of stickers around your body that record the electrical wave forms that are coming from your heart, and they can tell us if your heart's beating, okay? When you're in a hospital ward, or on a monitored ward particularly, it is clearly for a reason. It means that people are worried about your heart rhythm and worried about your cardiac condition and want to keep a close eye on things. And so what these monitors are then able to do is they are with every beat, which is going to be like an electrical spike that you see on the screen, they will make a sound, yeah? What TV dramas often do is they sort of over-dramatise it because can you imagine patients are probably not able to sleep if you have with every heartbeat a beep, beep, beep oh, okay. going on. Yeah. And then when the device falls off them, it just goes beep all the yeah. time. They wouldn't sleep in the bed, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. But what does happen, <laughs> yeah, however, that. is that the computer systems that record the heart tracing of the patient, and there's normally like a, you know, like a TV screen basically right next to the patient's bed with all the things that are being monitored live on screen so that any doctor or nurse or anybody who's walking by the patient bed can see those live. But also that same information is being back to a desk where the central control area where the team, the manager, the nurses, etc., will sit and observe all the patients in, a, in an area, right? But what does happen with those recording systems is they've got some clever algorithms. And so what they do do is they do beep at the nurse's desk or at the main monitoring desk, as well as the patient bedside, but they beep for things that we think are important. Okay. So they beep for things where it says heart's going too fast, and there might be a type of tone for that, which is less annoying than heart is stopped, for instance, or heart is having a cardiac arrest with a rapid lethal heart rhythm, quick call the crash team. So there are different tones to alert us about the severity of things, and they'll beep for heart is going too fast, heart is going too slow, or I think there's a problem with the ECG leads, perhaps you should just go back and reconnect them properly, all of those kind Turn of things. Turn it off and on again. Yeah, well, stick them on and yeah, on again. Yeah, on. Exactly. So it, it, they have some algorithms now. So the, the TV dramas obviously do dramatise them, and I think maybe when those those kind of computer systems did come up in the 70s. That's probably is what actually did happen. It went beep when there was no no heartbeat and beep, beep, beep for each heartbeat, if that makes oh, sense. Oh, so uh, the medical world has moved on, yeah. thankfully, whereas script writers in Hollywood... Still loving still the old 70s, 70s style. It's exactly. all Quincy for yeah, them. Yeah, it's all Quincy for them. <laughs> exactly that. Okay, uh, Jeremiah, thank you very much indeed for emailing in. We really do appreciate it. A great question, nicely handled as always, Neil. And as I say, you can get involved anytime you like. Email us, doctor at nextdoorpod.com. And that's it from this edition of The Doctor Next Door. As ever, thank you to my regular co-host and next door neighbour, Dr. Neil Srinivasan, and a special thank you to Medtronic for sponsoring these very special episodes. We'll be back again soon when Dr. Neil will again be guiding us through the medical world. I'll have another burning question and we'll be answering more of your questions as well. Please do rate, review and subscribe from wherever you usually do your pod dealings. And if you know a doctor, nurse or medical professional who you think might like what you've just heard, then why why not let them know. Now, I'm off to binge watch Quincy. 
get out of my house. A note from our sponsors, Medtronic. See the device manual for information regarding the instructions for use, indications, contradictions, warnings, precautions and potential adverse events. For further information, contact your local Medtronic representative and or consult the Medtronic website at www.medtronic.eu. For applicable products, consult instructions for use on manuals.medtronic.com. Reminder, the data and content included in this podcast express only the clinical perspective of us, the presenters. They are completely independent and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Medtronic. This information is intended only for users in markets where Medtronic products and therapies are approved or available for use as indicated within the respective product manuals. Content on specific Medtronic products and therapies is not intended for users in markets that do not have authorization for use. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 